Welcome to Arts Express. This is Prairie Miller and on the show. Here's a poem called Eating Together, which surprised me in its making because I started out by paying attention to what was there in front of me, the physical world. But the poem insisted on making its own turn toward uh, somebody who isn't there, the absent one. Eating Together. In the steamer is the trout, seasoned with slivers of ginger, two sprigs of green onion, and sesame oil. We shall eat it with rice for lunch, brothers, sister, my mother, who will taste the sweetest meat of the head, holding it between her fingers deftly, the way my father did weeks ago. Then he lay down to sleep like a snow-covered road, winding through pines older than him, without any travelers, and lonely for no one. And that was poet Lee Young Lee presenting Eating Together. And thank you, Poetry Break and the Academy of American Poets. And next on Arts Express, a tale of two movies, including one that never got made, but stars that first intended director in the second film on the very same subject. The multi-talented cabaret and golden-eyed actor Alan Cumming. Jack Shalom breaks it all down in a conversation about that eventual film, My Old School. Tell us what you know of Brandon Lee. Brandon Lee. Brandon Lee. Brandon Lee. I remember my first day at Barristan Academy. It was junior year, day one. The classroom door opened, and there he was. He was quite gaunt looking, and he was really pale. He had a briefcase. Funny hair, glasses. He was one of the better pupils. Just an all-round nice guy. <laughs> Hiding in plain sight. It's about the best place you can hide. Police found that Lee had two passports. People thought he might be a spy. And that was when he said, My name isn't Brandon Lee, and I'm not who you think I am. What? There was no crime committed, technically. Was it morally acceptable? Hi, this is Jack Shalom. In 1995, the students of a secondary school in Scotland found out they were the victims of a hoax. Their popular student companion of the previous year, Brandon, turned out not to be who he seemed to be, but a much older imposter. Now one of those fooled students, John McLeod, who grew up to be a filmmaker, has made a film that takes that true shaggy dog story further yet, as Jono and his former school companions investigate the effect that the student they knew as Brandon had on all of them. And in a virtuoso turn, Alan Cumming plays the camera-shy Brandon. I'm very happy to welcome the director of the film, My Old School, Jono McLeod, and its star, Alan Cumming. Hi, Jono. Hey, Jack. Hey, Dan. Hi, Alan. Hello. It's a pleasure to speak with both of you. Alan, do you have anything to add about that film that never happened about Brandon Lee? I really liked it. It was, it was a really good script and I was going to direct it as well. And I think, you know, just one of those things that films fall apart all the time, sadly. There's lots of films over the years that I've been, you know, I'm attached to several things right now. If they all get made, I'll, I'll have to clone myself to be able to do that. <laughs> it's just one of the things you do that you have to sort of work out. That's how you exist in the business is to sort of over over attach yourself because it's a fickle thing and not everything you have to believe that things will get made, but they often don't. So, yeah, it was, it was, and it was, I was sad when it happened, but, you know, I, even then, 25 years ago, I was quite sanguine about it and thought, oh, well, showbiz, you know. And here I am, a quarter of a century later, playing that character again in a, in a totally different film, a totally different environment. So, Jano, how did you come to make this movie? Well, basically, when the story broke back in the 1990s, there was a huge amount of press interest in Scotland and in the rest of the UK. 
um, about what had happened at our school. There then followed a lot of interest from movie people. And we became aware that there was going to be a movie made in the 1990s about Brandon's story, both starring and directed by a certain Alan Cumming. But for whatever reason, that, that movie never <laughs> happened. We always wondered why nobody had ever made this film. You know, we were slightly suspicious that Drew Barrymore's Never Been Kissed came out a few years later. Um, <laughs> but over the years, we just um, we just thought, you know, why has nobody ever done this? And then as the years went by, we thought, we really should get together and try and tell this story now because, you know, pretty soon we'll our memories will be failing us. So, um, yeah, basically it was a case of getting all my, my classmates together again and basically having my high school reunion on camera. <laughs> well, Jano, did you know how you were going to tell this story from the beginning with the recollections of your former schoolmates and the animation and Alan lip-syncing Brandon's interview with you? The pieces, it was like kind of putting together a puzzle. And the very first piece of the puzzle was Brandon himself. And he had this stipulation that he was willing to do an interview with me, but he would not appear on camera under any circumstances. So if I knew of a way to make a film without him having to do that, then I was very welcome to. So I had in the back of my mind uh, a movie made about a decade ago, I think, by a British filmmaker called Kyle Bernard. That was called The Arbor, which had really successfully used lip sync throughout. So I, I knew that that was a possibility, but I also then knew that I needed a really talented actor to be able to pull something like that off because, you know, that mm-hmm. movie, The Arbor, used multiple actors lip-syncing multiple people. And this was one person who I was trying to hang the entire film off of. And the fact, therefore, that I now needed an age-appropriate Brandon to play the present-day character, you know, who better than to go back to the man who was supposed to do this 20-plus years ago and see if he was willing to to step up. And he was, thank goodness, because if he didn't, I don't know what this film would be or if there would be a film for you to see. Uh, Alan, how did you prepare for this role? Well, I, Jono, you know, sent me the interview that he'd done, uh, the audio interview, and I kind of just, you know listen to it <laughs> I mean it wasn't <laughs> there wasn't really much of a way to prepare for it until I was actually doing it like one of those uh-huh. things I think a lot of acting's like that I just you know I kind of just listened and just had them in my in my headphones and and then on the on the actual days that we shot it I I just I mean I, I guess I just let him you know like I do with a lot of things just went with my gut let, let the character uh-huh. and in this case the voice seep into me and I, I often do that when I've got a part I know I'm going to play. I, I sort of don't really think I've prepared very much or thought very much about it. Then one day I think, oh, I've made a decision about that person. And so with this, I just kind of, as a process of osmosis. And then there we were in this freezing cold school because it was during, uh, it was in 2020, December of 2020. And Glasgow in December is not the Caribbean. And uh, so and because of COVID, we had all the windows and doors had to be open. Um so uh, we were we were in this school, and it was freezing cold because of the all the doors and windows having to be open, and it was just this bizarre kind of it was like a it was like a sort of cult indoctrination process. We were deprived, uh, uh, you know, warmth, and just endlessly, endlessly the same thing repeated over and over again over the speakers. Uh, me, you know, uh, lip syncing away until Jono and I felt we'd got it. And it was a bizarre experience. And I also feel it made me realise about how how much a voice kind of permeates the, someone's energy and someone's spirit. Uh, you know, it was just, it was a fascinating acting exercise. I know people are going to talk about constantly how seamless you were in lip syncing Brandon's interview. But I, I think it would really be a shame if that overshadowed just the sheer uh, truthfulness of your performance. I never doubted for an instant that you were that man looking back over his life. I mean, well, did you feel good. that you understood his inner life? I mean, I, um, in as much as you can uh, when you're playing someone who is a sort of a shapeshifter. But I mean, I certainly feel I understood how he wanted to be presented all the time. I feel there's you can sort of see that he's always very self-aware and self-conscious about how he is coming over. Uh, you can even, that comes over even just listening to him. I mean, hopefully when people see the film, they don't think, oh gosh, yes, Alan Cumming is lip-syncing. Uh, because actually it should just be Alan Cumming's playing a part. 
Exactly. But but uh, but the lip syncing is pretty good as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's seamless. It's perfect. What what was the most helpful thing that Jano said to you? Uh, <laughs> do it again. Probably. <laughs> yeah, we did that a lot. <laughs> it's also a weird thing because after a while, when you're constantly lip syncing and just trying to get, it's like when you do ADR on a film and you're looping on a film, you actually can't hear anymore uh, what you said. You can't. You, you you stop being able to judge. You stop trusting. Your mind stops trusting yourself. And so I sometimes I thought. I thought I got that. And John would say, oh, actually, there's a little funny, you know, it wasn't quite accurate. And sometimes he would say, oh, you got it. I was like, really? I thought I didn't get that, you know. So it was a weird thing. It kind of like, like you know, this cult indoctrination thing. It was We sort of got kind of, I think we both at certain moments lost our own judgment because it was such a weird hypnotic thing to do. I guess because the, also because the only other person in the world who could lip sync this role is me because I know this interview inside out having you know worked right. on it for a number of years <laughs> so it was such a strange thing to be in the room and for Alan to suddenly be embodying these lines that I've been hearing over and over for years because by the time Alan came to do this the film was in a fully cut state you know we had the final kind of um, version of the film so that was what Alan's performance was was the second last thing that we did for the film, the very last thing, weirdly, was the animation. Uh, uh-huh. Just by the way things fell. So, yeah, no, it's been it's been a long process. Well, John, the real Brandon Lee refused to show his present self on camera, but you actually got a hold of from twenty five years ago the high school South Pacific play that he did, where we actually see a clip of the young Brandon playing Lieutenant Joe Cable. How did you get a hold of that? Yeah, I mean, that's, without giving too many kind of spoilers away or anything, I think that's, there, there comes a certain point in the film, basically, where Alan vanishes, and we do get to see uh, the real Brandon Lee, basically. Uh, not just in, um, in his leading role in the high school musical, but also, you know, when the story broke back then, Brandon was, you know, had less reservations about appearing on, on, on screen, and he did the kind of chat show circuit and went around... Um, you know, the UK and Ireland had made a number of television appearances. Um, so, yeah, there does come a point in the film when you get to see him. So it was just a case of digging through the archives and, um, and finding all this stuff from back then. Because actually, you know, while Americans might not be aware of this story, for those of us back in the UK and certainly in Scotland, it's a piece of folklore. And Brandon himself could possibly be described as something of a folk hero in Glasgow. Um, just having been able to pull off what is possibly uh, one of the greatest hoaxes in, in, in Scottish history. <laughs> There's so much about this movie that has the viewer wondering about what is real and what is not. Where do you think Brandon will be 10 years from now? Well, I, I don't know. I, I was shocked to find that he is still living in Bear's Den today. Uh, the same place, you know, that he always lived, even though and he, that's what makes it even more kind of galling and audacious that he reinvented himself and went back to the same high school that he had gone to and continued to live in the area. Um, and he's still living in it 25 years later. So I don't know. I imagine he might still be there, kind of just living his life and, and kind of living on his legacy. And as we wrap up, Alan, having incarnated Brandon Lee, what do you know about him that no one else knows? He's really difficult to mimic because he's not, he's, doesn't, he's not a constant. He's sort of, I mean, even in the course of the interview that I lip-synced, he, his vowel sounds and everything changed. I'm glad I, had, I just had to lip-sync him and not actually impersonate him or, or play him because, you know, do his voice because it's an ever-changing oral sensation so yeah he's a bit of a i mean he's a shapeshifter i mean that's what's fascinating that's what made him fascinating 25 years ago and that's what keeps us all enthralled by him today thanks so much alan and jano thank you thanks so much thank you i've been talking with the director of my old school jano mcleod and its star alan cumming it's a really excellent tale of identity hucksterism and the mutability of memory This is Jack Shalom for Arts Express with host Prairie Miller. If you really want to prevail, you have to do the unimaginable.
and My Old School is out now in release. And coming up next on the show, in our News from Strange Places episode this week, the fist bump heard round the world. Two powerful leaders under the hot sun to discuss oil and killing. One of the leaders rules a tyrannical regime which funds terrorists, murders journalists, suppresses civil rights, and commits war crimes. The other, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, is no better. A presentation composed by Australian journalist, political analyst, poet, songwriter, and self-described digital street philosopher Caitlin Johnstone is on the case. Presented and co-authored by Tim Foley. The Fist Bump Heard Round the World Two powerful leaders met beneath the hot Jeddah sun to discuss oil and killing and friendship. One of the leaders rules a tyrannical regime which funds terrorists, murders journalists, suppresses civil rights, and commits war crimes. The other, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, is no better. They greeted not with the traditional handshake, nor with a stern finger wag from the American for the assassination of Jamal Khashoggi, but with the most epic fist bump in the history of civilization. Since the invention of the fist bump, there have been none so pure, so affectionate, so expressive of perfect union and harmony. Observers said they thought they heard angels singing. When their two fists connected, their souls merged. Their eyes locked with an intimacy poets and lovers have spent their whole lives trying to capture. Their chakras burned with the intensity of a thousand stars. This is who we are, the fist bump roared to the heavens. This is who we have always been. Our sacred bond presides over an empire that is fueled by oil and blood, and we rule as one in holy communion with the great kings of old. Nothing shall ever come between us, not bone saw, nor mass beheading, nor strained lip service to human rights values on the presidential campaign trail. Time froze as the two joined fists in genocidal matrimony, flashing coy grins at each other upon a mountain of Yemeni corpses and the tortured bones of Syria. Their faces turned to skulls. Doves with red-stained feathers filled the air. And the Marxists of the world say, if only we could one day capture that kind of class solidarity. And the wives of the world say, if only he would one day look at me like that. And the arms manufacturers of the world say, hoo-hoo, yeah, buddy boy, this is going to be great. Let's go snort coke off a tomahawk missile. And the hidden saints say, something's got to give here. And the world rotates on the axis of those two joined fists into ecocide and atrocity and Google Hollywood dystopia. And the imperial juggernaut marches on. And the earth spins off into the blackness. And we all hold hands and look to providence as we plunge into an increasingly strange unknown. And you can see more of John Stone's work, daily writings about the end of illusions, at CaitlinJohnstone.com. And now on Arts Express, it seems that Russian pranksters are at it again. Vovan and Lexis, alias Vladimir Kuznetskov, and Alexei Studiarov, alias, well, President Zelensky, phoning up apparently Ukraine warhawk, horror and supernatural author Stephen King, as King is seemingly lured in a supernatural realm not of his own creation this time, singing the praises of Ukraine Nazi genocide and Hitler collaborator Stephen Bandera, who, King insists at one point, was simply a good guy, doing a bad thing or two. Like, for instance, Thomas Jefferson, who enslaved 6,000 kidnapped African human beings on his property and while also agreeing to use his talent for horror to write for the fake Zelensky a fake report accusing Russian soldiers of raping the Azov neo-Nazi battalion down in that Mirapol basement where they were hiding. Let's give a listen. Banned on YouTube, but brought to you here on the show. 
Stephen King here. Do you hear me? Yes. Hello. I hear you very well. Hi. How are you there, Mr. King? How is Molly? How is Molly? How are the Red Sox? Huh? Are they are they winning now? Or yes, winning. They're winning, and Molly is fine. And it's a pleasure and an honor to speak to you. Yeah, well, very nice to to know that. Thank you very much. I would love to come to the Ukraine. Uh, I'm wearing my Ukraine hat. You can see that. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have the Ukrainian flag that flies outside. What do you think about Russia now? How to defeat them? Where are their weakness? How do you think? In their fair, I see the Pennywise behind you. So maybe he can defeat them too. Uh, Pennywise will be over there, and he will do whatever he can to help with uh, <laughs> beating the Russians. You mm. bet. <laughs> and, uh, I just think that most everybody understands uh, that we have to make some sacrifices here. Uh, the oil prices are up. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. King. I'm also grateful to you that you have banned the publication of your books in Russia. You were the most published author in Russia, and it will definitely help us win. I generally think that Russian should be abolished as a nation. Yes, and not only that, but uh, the movies are out. Uh, the movies cannot be shown in, in Russia. Uh, Pennywise may be in their sewers, but he won't be on their uh, television and movie screens anymore. I agree. I agree. And I advocate um, cancel culture. I mean, cancel Russian, um, Russian culture. <laughs> yeah. All those Russian writers are nothing compared to you. I think that's true. And I think that uh, there's a huge amount of propaganda. Mm -hmm. Where are you now? Where are you? I'm in Maine. I'm ah. in Maine, and uh, it's beautiful here. Uh, what's it like there now? Uh, what's the weather like? I know what, what the, the the war is like. It's terrible, but what's the weather like? Is it spring? Me, now it's spring, but it's not political spring now, unfortunately. So you no. know that, and I'm angry. I'm angry on. Um, I'm angry on Russian people, especially. So that's why I think that some Russian writers, some Russian um, people from Russian culture, should be banned, and people who are supporting right position should be expanded, and they should be spread it around the world and people should have they have to listen them but not russian writers now i think that's true i think that russian writers uh need to shut up mm -hmm. but i also recently uh have seen an advertisement in for the russian tnt channel where was you You called for watching Russian TV series in which they show that I'm a fool and a drugged user. Uh, that's the name of that um, serial is To the Lake. And it was you there. What is it? Is it hoax or joke? What is it? I think that it must be what they call fake news. But you did not film in that uh, advertisement, right? So you did not say that uh, Russian cereal uh, to the lake is good? I don't think that I did, no. Mm. This is it's interesting. So you know that we have no Nazis. We have nationalists, Ukrainian nationalists, people who are really love Ukraine. Yeah, they, it's not... Uh, it's not Nazis. It's Azov. They, of course, they love some uh, people like Bandera. It's uh, our national hero. So what do you think about Bandera? He was in the uh, Second World War and uh, he fought against uh, Soviet Union. Uh, 
but yeah, he had some crimes, but it's not uh, so big crimes. It's of course accidentally where uh, crimes against Jews, but you know, it's really important to keep him uh, opposed to Putin and his propaganda. Well, yes, I mean, there, there, there are always, you can always find things about people uh, to pull them down. Uh, there is Washington and Jefferson were slave owners. Uh, that doesn't mean that they didn't do many good things for the United mm -hmm. States of America. Uh, there are always people who have uh, flaws. We're human. You know, there mm -hmm. are things that uh, we do that are bad choices. And then there are things that we do uh, that are great choices. So, you know, on the whole, I think uh, Bandera is a great man and you're a great man. And uh, viva Ukraine. Thank you very much. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I'm very grateful to the United States for its help. And I have a great respect for President Biden. He's definitely better than Trump. I know you were banned in Twitter by Trump. Yeah, me too. Me too. By the way, I texted him to, to f himself in the private message and said that get get out when he lost his position it's it's like a private my secret yeah well uh you and i together can both say you know this to donald trump mm, yeah i'm very afraid that he will become president of the united states again and will help russia no no, people have had enough of Donald Trump in this country. So in this country, I think that people have had a belly full of Donald Trump. I mean, as, as a leader, he was lazy and he was incompetent. There are politicians in this country like uh, Donald Trump who become performance artists. You were a performance artist, but uh, you're doing the job. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that. Thank you. You do you do your job. I really love your books and grow up on them. But probably many people tell you uh, that. You probably know that I'm an actor also myself. And my dream is to uh, star in a movie based on your book, It. Like my Pennywise is my favorite hero. Well, he's not really a hero. He's kind of a bad guy. But mm -hmm. uh, we'll find a place for you in a movie, I promise. Mm -hmm. That's my promise to you. I see myself in the role of Pennywise, uh, the dancing clown, because as a child, I was um, teased at school. It. Well, uh, all right. If you see him as uh, your spirit animal, so to speak, that's fine. Okay, mm -hmm. that's great. That's great. When the war is finished, you come... You sit down, you have a meal with me and uh, producer people, and we'll put you in uh, a part like Pennywise. Mm -hmm. How does that sound? Yeah, maybe you will come. You know, some writers were also uh, good soldiers, like Hemingway in Best. <laughs> maybe you can help us. Yes, with my heart and uh, my soul and Twitter and whatever else I can do. Kick ass and take names. You bet. Mm -hmm. By the way, I wanted to ask you for advice. It's my mm, confidence advice, I, uh, my question. The fact is that we are, mm, we are in a war with Russia, but not only with weapon, but also in information war. And all, um, all means are good on it. All means now the war can be won not with the help of weapons but with help of visualization and images the media it is very important for us to turn the whole world and russia citizens to our side if we don't win the media war we will lose everything and unfortunately there is always murder and brutality in war from 
both sides from different from both sides but but the winner is the one who knows how to submit the material correctly that's why i'm turning to you we need uh, some scenarios like what happened in the ukrainian city of bucha now you know what is happening in mariupol our soldiers of azov battalion our national battalion az battalion azov are hiding in the basements of the factory and the russians surrounded them they circled circled them we need to involve the world community so that putin retreats and we urgently need to screen the terrible actions of the russian army we have to screen that you understand if if we show how for example the russian treat them Crayley, they will be scared. If you, as a kind of horror, write to us what the Krayal Russians could do with the innocent nationalists Azov battalion in the basements, like, I don't know, like the rape of their commander, we could submit this material as real and spread it to the media. We will agree with the commander. He will be alive. Of course, this is unofficial. But we need to stand up soon be before they kill them. So if you can help us, we will be really appreciated. Yes, we'll do everything that we can. Uh, it's very, very important uh, to keep this in front of the world, to make mm -hmm. the world see day by day and not let uh, uh, other things take center stage. We need the script. Please write a script, like I have said it. I'll see what I can do. Man, maybe you have journalists you know who could uh, highlight this in the West. I can certainly ask and see what happens. And I will. Mm -hmm. We have also launched the Stand Up for Ukraine program, where world celebrities raise money to help our country. And I know you have a program called the uh, Dollar Baby or Dollar Deal under which you sell the right to film your works. You could double the amount of this fee and send this increase, uh, this sum to help our country. I think it would be very useful. What do you think? I think that that's a good idea. I'll have to talk it over and see what we can do. Let me talk to some people and see what I can do. Mm -hmm. But it's really valuable uh, dollars because it's from your scenario. All right. Understood. By the way, I'm writing my autobiography. Uh, you know, the tentative uh, title is I'm a, a low, it's funny because I'm a, a comic actor in past. Like, I'm a golem. Because, because uh, I was created like by our uh, businessman uh, with Jewish roots, Kolomoisky. I'm also Jewish such Jewish magic, and he invested mm -hmm. a lot of uh, money and power in me and helped me become uh, president. It's like a joke, like a comic, some, but it's with uh, some, I don't know, with e irony. So is it a good name? So like you, like an author? Well, I'd have to read the book to know what name it is. Did you say that you were thinking of calling it the Golem? Mm -hmm. That's good. What's wrong with that title? Send me the book. I okay. don't read it. But I, I will say... I don't, read, I don't read Ukrainian, but I have a, a, a lady who works with me who's Ukrainian, Yulia, mm -hmm. and uh, she, she has her uh, son and daughter who are in Ukraine now, and uh, her mm -hmm. grandson is in Ukraine. She can read beautiful. She'll read it to me, translate it to English, and I, I'd love to see it. That would What? be fun. When I when I defeat Putin, of course I will finish my book and I definitely send send it to you. And, okay. And it's good. I would like to bury some of my nationalists in the pet cemetery, of course, like in your book. It's a, <laughs> it's a pity. It's a pity it can be done, of course. That sounds good, but of course things that are buried in the pet cemetery come back, so you wouldn't want that. You can kick, kick their asses right out of your country. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you very much. And Slava Ukraini. Ukraine forever. Viva Ukraine. Viva Ukraine and say Viva Vavan and Lexus. <laughs> you know, it's okay. our he heroes. Viva Vavan and Lexus. Viva Vavan and Lexus. Vavan and Lexus. And we'll go out now on Arts Express in a conversation with filmmaker and actress Nana Mensa about her latest film, the satirical feature Queen of Glory, touching on her own Brooklyn roots as a child of Ghanaian immigrants seemingly facing her own middle class and cultural issues, along with how those confrontations play out in a difficult communication with an actual genuine inner-city working-class actor rare in movies playing themselves, former incarcerated Bronx Latin King gang member Miko Gattuso, who plays a worker in the store that she's inherited to her dismay from her late mother. First, some scenes from Queen of Glory, then Nana Mensa, who's also starred in The Chair with Sandra Oh, and on Orange is the New Black, phoning in from London with a couple of transmission issues and where she's currently filming the upcoming Netflix show, The Diplomat. The wake is tomorrow. Your mother was loved by many people. I know you love my mother. I said a lot of people. Yes, she has a will. Sarah, you are the owner of the house and the bookstore. There must be some sort of mistake. Your mother had employees. So I have to fire somebody? Can I help you? I'm looking for Pitt. I am Pitt. You work here? How do you know my mom again? After I got parole, my grandmother knew your mom's. She hooked it up. I'd do anything for that woman. So what you studying? I'm a molecular neuro-oncologist. And that's free? You just can't use people and throw them away. Just a Christian bookstore, not a Walmart. <laughs> Good at being my mom. You don't have to be your mother. You get to define you, mama. Hi, Prairie. Hello and welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. What are you up to there in London right now? I'm working on a, a, a Netflix show called The Diplomat. Uh, it's, a, it's a show, it's a TV show. Um, and it is uh, starring Carrie Russell and Rufus Sewell. And I um, am acting in it. I'm not, I did not have anything to do with the writing or direction. So I'm wearing a different hat. Would you say Queen of Glory is autobiographical or personal for you or not? Yeah, I would say, I would say that it's highly, um, I would say that it's highly personal, but it's not autobiographical at all. Um, I, uh, have a great relationship with my dad. My mother is still very much alive. Thank God. Um, I, uh, did not get a PhD. I, you know, like there are a lot of things that are not, uh, autobiographically correct, but I am really flattered that people think it is because I think that means that there is a certain authenticity, uh, to it, like an emotional authenticity, which leads people to think that it's autobiographical, but it's not. It is a work of fiction. We rarely see on screen immigrant or working class life portrayed without caricatures or at all. How did you go about crafting your story and your characters to defy and transcend those stereotypes on screen? Yeah, I mean, I think that was really important to me, frankly, and that was part of the reason why I, um, I decided to tell a story like in this way. Uh, it was because I felt like um, I hadn't seen it. So for example, like in media and Hollywood, uh, the West African immigrant story is often plagued with a lot of, um, you know, hardship and strife. And that is not to gloss for the fact that there is in fact a lot of hardship and strife when immigrating to the United, uh, to the United States when uh, you are not from there. Uh, but um, I do think also that there's something really, um, there's also in my family, a lot of joy, a lot of, you know, funny anecdotes or stories that my parents or my aunts and uncles would tell about those 
years of, of, of what it meant to in, embrace that culture clash between being West African and then trying to be American. And so I wanted to just, you know, um, tell a story that was rooted in that dynamic rather than a story that's rooted in, you know, a lot of that, that pain and strife, which, you know, of course is there, but I just didn't want to dwell on it because I feel like so many others have already tread that ground before me. And even more rare is your very human portrait of formerly incarcerated Latin King gang member turned playwright, stage director, and actor, Miko Gattuso. What can you say about reaching out to him and getting him involved in your film? And how did you go about conceiving and fleshing out his inner city working class character, Pitt? I was just, mag- yeah, he's magnetic, you know. Um, he has lived quite a life. And um, like you said, from, uh, you know, formerly incarcerated gang member to, you know, actor and creative. And so I, uh, I just knew that there, I, that I had to write a part for him. I mean, there were no auditions for the role of Pitt. It was 100% always Nico's role. And uh, should he want it? And he very much, he very graciously accepted. So um, that was, that was not a, uh, that was not even a question. But one of the things that I love about Nico is that, you know, and I've said it before, but he looks the way he does and he's lived the life he lives. And so you walk it, you, you know, when, when you maybe make assumptions about him and what he likes and how he speaks and whatever. And, you know, some of those are correct, but also he knows every single word to the Grease soundtrack. You know, he is a joyous individual. And I, um, you know, in spite of slash maybe because of the, the life that he's lived. So it's, it, it was really uh, important to me to like, embrace that duality because I think that all of us you know be we a person of color or a woman or you know any of those things like oftentimes we walk into a room and people assume they know uh you know who we are and 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 then with time you know we peel those layers back and and show them um the dynamism of our humanity and I think that that was what I was getting at with Miko's character And what about sensitively portraying not only surmounting the cross-cultural and racial barriers between your two characters, but across class lines, with your middle-class character struggling to connect and communicate with his ghetto character? Yeah, I thought that, um, thank you for noticing that. That's such a great question. Um, Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, luckily it was not Miko's first time on a film set, so uh, he has had experience dealing with people from all walks of life. And I think that that was a presumption that I went into our interaction having and and he quickly debunked. Like he understands what it's like to be on a film set. He knows how to act on a film set. You know, he is a professional actor. And so again, um, I realized that I was kind of like maybe giving a set of rules to my other actors and then giving a separate set of rules to Miko because of the way he looked. And that was, incorrect and I and I checked myself really quickly of being guilty of the thing that I had uh you know accused others of you know so that was really interesting and this is not your first film about your character caught up in the strange world of academia what interested you about being part of the chair oh that was wonderful I loved that experience except for the fact that we started filming in uh, January of 2021, and none of us had been, vaccines weren't available yet. So we were one of the first sets to go back after, you know, uh, after the first wave of COVID. And um, it was really scary, you know, because a large large chunk of our cast is, you know, our senior citizens and we wanted to protect them. I was pregnant while we were filming, people wanted to protect me. So there was, you know, there was a lot of unknown, but aside from that, we still managed to have this really glorious experience that was so fun and, and bonding. And I, I hope that, um, you know, the people involved in that show are in my life forever and we get to collaborate again on, on, on other things because it was such a joy. Um, Sandra Oh is, um, you know, was a fearless leader, as was Amanda Pete, um, who was switching from being in front of the camera to being behind the camera frankly, seamlessly, it was kind of shocking how easily she did it. Um, I'm a little bit envious because I don't know. I mean, just the fluidity with which she seemed to understand how to tell a story visually um, was really enviable. 
And um, yeah, it was a wonderful experience. And I, you know, I don't know why there's this overlap of like characters in academia that have like followed me in my career thus far. Maybe I'll figure something else out for my next character. And what was it like co-starring and interacting with Sandra Oh? Oh, it was wonderful. I mean, like, you know, she is, um, you know, I think Sandra is, you know, in her 50s and has been in the game for a long time. And she is um, really, you know, she's a woman of color. And obviously as an Asian woman, she walks into a room and other people, you know, make, you know, have their preconceived notions about who she is and what she's about. So we had a lot of common uh, common ground. And so um, we had to walk on set and our first day we were doing a scene between the two of us that presupposed a long history of knowing each other. And we had just met. But I think that that was a testament to her openness and her, um, you know, and her charisma and her ability to make people feel really comfortable and like they belong. And what's going on there with Boris Johnson having to resign in disgrace? It sounds like craziness in progress. I don't have the 411 from 10 Downing, but I will say that the people in the streets have been pretty happy. I think the vibe in London has been pretty ebullient since he his resignation. In fact, the night that the, of the design, I was walking, I had just gone to dinner with some friends and I was walking through Oxford Circus and people were literally dancing in the street. So <laughs> I don't know if that was just a coincidence, but it, but it, felt, it felt connected. And what are people saying about Boris over there? And has anyone said anything to you about this? No, I think... I think as an American with a you know fairly strong American accent, I think uh, you know I I can't comment on it because you know as they as you know my I think that America's messy political landscape is 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 so uh, uh, well storied and known throughout the world that I I, I dare not I dare not comment on uh, British politics. I think without, for fear of sticking my neck out and maybe drawing, being a bit of a lightning rod. Because I'm obviously American, as soon as I open my mouth, I think, I think that generally we avoid it. So I've been, I, nobody has actually spoken to me about it, um, but, th- but it's been really interesting to be here and, and, and watch, uh, you know, you know, because obviously there are a lot of equivalencies between Boris Johnson and Donald Trump. And so being here for their kind of like, you know, Trump being ousted moment is very, is very, uh, is very unique. (laughs) And you also joined Orange is the New Black as the character, the hairdresser. What was it about Orange is the New Black that got you on board and as that character? Oh, well, I mean, that was earlier on in my career where I definitely didn't have a lot of choice. Um, That was, but I mean, I think that was a great show and I knew people who worked on that show and I was just happy to be involved you know even though it was a brief scene with uh taylor Schilling's character who i actually knew from acting school so that was pretty lovely um but yes that was i just you know auditioned along with i'm sure a hundred of a hundred other people and and they picked me so i was really happy to do an episode on that show that very iconic show and what can you say about the significance and your choice of title queen of glory well it's a play on words because the characters, the character inherits a Christian bookstore called King of Glory for a long time, just the untitled Christian bookstore project. And so um, we decided to name it Queen of Glory as we realized that this was a character, a woman who was kind of stepping into her own power, stepping into her, you know, through um, her roots. And, uh, And so we felt like Queen of Glory was an apt title. And any last word about Queen of Glory? And what it's meant to you to create this film and this story. I'm, I'm thinking, I mean, I think it's been wild and, and so unexpected, like a, a really beautiful journey. So um, I think Queen of Glory to me is, is, is uh, it's about perseverance. It's about setting a target, no matter how far off in the distance and the horizon it may seem and just walking ever slowly toward it um, with intention Uh, Because, you know, a lot of people weren't interested in this film. And so it's been so gratifying to see it sell out in film festivals across the world and now have its, you know, theatrical release 
because I, when I was looking for money to make this story, you know, all investor after investor turned me down. So it's been so wonderful to know that, you know, to have trusted my instinct and again, just move really slowly towards this target of finishing this film and then to have it be received well by critics and audiences has been so, so, so gratifying. So that's what it means to me. Um, I just implore folks who are interested in diverse stories and, and, you know, things outside of the Marvel cinematic universe, you know, different and interesting kinds of narratives to be, uh, you know, to get their day or get their moment on screen, then we have to show that we want that. Okay, thank you for calling into the show. Thank you so much, Prairie. I really appreciate it. This was a delightful. Thank you for your very uh, thought-provoking questions. Bye. And Queen of Glory is out now in release. And that's all we have time for today on Arts Express, Expression in the Arts. And we'll end the show this week with a musical tribute to William Poogie Hart, who just passed away on July 14th the founder and lead singer of the classic soul group The Delphonics, and considered one of the greatest voices in the history of soul music, Hart also exemplified the immense hope eventually shattered up north that anticipated the historic Great Migration fleeing the terror of the Jim Crow South. Until next time, this is Prairie Miller leaving the station.